Beth. How's everybody this morning? Doing well? Good. It's great to see you guys. Beautiful day out. I'm looking forward to a walk this afternoon, kind of just hanging out and uh, enjoying the beautiful weather. If I haven't met you, my name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here. I would love if you've got a minute or two after the service, come on up. Come on up. I'll be hanging out up front. Say hi. We can chat. And if you want to pray about something as well, uh, just let me know. I'd love to pray with you if there's something going on in your life that you would be encouraged by uh, if we could pray together. So as Beth has uh, mentioned, we're in the middle of our series that we're calling Are You Listening? And we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, probably most of you are at least somewhat familiar with the Lord's Prayer. You may have grown up reciting it. You may be familiar with it uh, from church. It's really the most well-known prayer uh, in Western civilization. But in fact, it's not just an, an actual prayer to pray. And it's fine to pray it as a prayer. But sometimes, if we do that, it can become kind of ritualistic. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, etc. And it, it just becomes a ritual that we kind of just recited in that way. And we've been looking at it just slightly differently than that by seeing it not just as a prayer that we can pray, but ultimately as a pattern for prayer. And Jesus starts off in verse 9 in Matthew chapter 6, and he says, this then is how you should pray. And it's been a real blessing for me over really the last uh, couple of months as I've been preparing for these messages to stop and slow down and pray through the Lord's Prayer, not just saying all the words from memory, but really thinking through them, personalizing it, uh, and making it meaningful to me in my relationship with God. And, and so I just want to read through it again to keep it in our hearts and keep it in our minds, and then we're going to focus in on, on one of the verses. So Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And today, we're going to be focusing on verse 12, on that verse kind of in the middle or slightly towards the end of the prayer, where Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is, for me, it's both one of the most freeing verses uh, in the Lord's Prayer, but also one of the most challenging ones as well. It's freeing in a sense because as I pray, Lord, forgive my debts against you. I feel a freedom. I feel a, a peace, a, a removal of guilt and shame, a restoration of my relationship with God. But it's also challenging because the second half of the verse where it says, as we also have forgiven our debtors, I don't always have an e as easy a time with that half of the verse as I do with the front end. But as I've been talking to a number of, of different folks, I've realized that some of us struggle with the front end, with that coming to God and saying, forgive me for my sins, forgive me for my debts. And I think part of the difficulty with that is I've got to admit that I'm flawed, that I'm broken, that I'm sinful, that I do things wrong. And, and that's humbling. And we don't always like, uh, we don't always like to do that. And so sometimes our prayers become something, you know, like our Father in heaven, I humbly bow before you. And I want to tell you that 
mistakes were made, and I take full responsibility for my actions, and I know I'm sounding like a politician that I might hear on the TV news or something like that, you know, and I go on and on, and I'm just kind of fudging, and I'm not really saying, Lord, I have really messed up. I have really done something wrong. You know, I say mistakes were made, basically it means somebody did something wrong, but it wasn't me. And, and I take full responsibility for my actions. Well, what that means is now that I've said the right words, you need to leave me alone and forget the whole thing, you know? But God loves us. He's our heavenly father. And we talked about that uh, several weeks ago, right in the beginning, our heavenly father, Abba, the God who loves us, my dad, who cares more about me than any earthly father could ever care for me. So I don't need to be afraid to come to him. He already knows my guilt. He already knows that I'm a sinner. He already knows that I've disobeyed him, that I haven't done the things that he wants me to do, that I've done things that he said not to do. But he loves me. He loves me beyond a shadow of a doubt. He loves me more than I could imagine. So I don't need to be afraid for a second to come before him and say, yes, Lord, I did that. It was wrong. Would you forgive me? Lord, I failed to do what you wanted me to do. I failed to love my neighbor as myself. I failed to care for those who were in need. I failed to stop the argument when I was in the middle of it because I was too proud to admit that I was wrong. So I need to come before him and humbly say, Lord, would you forgive me? I have this debt between me and you, and I'd like you to forgive that debt. You know, and, and this concept of forgiveness, when you think about it for, for just a minute, think about it in a financial sense. You lend me $1,000, and I'm unable to pay it back, and I come to you, and I say, I can't pay back that $1,000. Would you forgive that debt that I have against you? And you say, yes, I'll forgive it. At that moment, you're essentially saying, I'm bearing the cost of what you did. I'm bearing the cost for your failure, for your weakness, for your sin. And that's what God has done for us. When I come to him and I say, will you forgive me? I'm saying, will you bear the cost for my sin, for what I've done? And he does that. He loves us. And that's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. He bore the cost for my sin so that my debt could be wiped clean, so that my relationship with God could be restored to the way that he originally designed it to be. And that's the kind of God that I have. That's the kind of God that we have. And he loves us enough that he is willing to bear any debt, any sin, pay any cost in order to restore that relationship between us and him. And all we have to do is say, will you forgive me? And it's exciting when you realize that he loves us enough that when we come to him, he will never, ever, ever reject us, even if it is the thousandth time that we've come to him and said, would you please forgive me for that same sin? In 1 John chapter 1, it's a letter that, that uh, one of Jesus' best earthly friends wrote. John writes, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us does things that we absolutely know are wrong. So if we say we're without sin, no, we're wrong on that. We're lying. The truth is not in us. But 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's an amazing promise that we have, and that's what's going on in the first half of Matthew 6, verse 12. And Jesus tells us to ask God to forgive us our debts in the context of a family relationship. And because it's a family, because God is our Father, we're His children, just as in any loving, healthy, good, vibrant family, we don't want anything to come between us and our loving Heavenly Father. It's not that, that just that what we've done is wrong because God says it's wrong, although that's absolutely true. It's when we sin, when we do things wrong, when we disobey God, when we fail to, to show others the same kind of love that God shows us, there's something between us and God. There's this barrier, there's this sin, there's this blockage between us and God. And so we shouldn't want anything to be there. And so when we come to him and say, would you forgive me? Would you wipe that out? Would you remove this obstacle that's between me and you? It, should not, it shouldn't be a burden. It should be a blessing. It should be something that we want to do, that we're excited to do. And God wants us to confess quickly as soon as as soon as we realize we've done something wrong, don't hesitate for a second. Just confess quickly and confess often, not just once a week on, on Sunday mornings, not even just once a day, but throughout the day, an ongoing conversation with God. Lord, I'm sorry, I was short with that person. Please forgive me. I had that wrong thought again. Would you please forgive me? Thank you for that forgiveness. Thank you for that cleansing. Thank you for that purification, for that removal of, of guilt and shame. I want to keep short accounts with you, God. Please help me not to let anything come between me and you. That's the kind of ongoing, day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship that we should and, and can have with God as a blessing because He's made us that promise that if we confess our sins, he will forgive us, he will cleanse us, he'll restore that relationship with himself. But then we come to the second half of the verse. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Asking for forgiveness is hard because it's humbling. Granting forgiveness, I think for most of us, sometimes even harder than that. There are times when ultimately from a human perspective, the debt that somebody has toward us makes a thousand dollars pale by comparison. The debt is so large that it seems impossible to be able to forgive the other person. And from a human perspective, it really can be impossible to forgive. One of my favorite stories is, is the story of a woman who lived uh, during World War II uh, in Holland, Nazi-occupied Holland. Her name is Corrie ten Boom, and uh, she was a Christian. She and her family were Christians, and they decided that when the Nazis were occupying Holland, they were going to hide Jews uh, in a secret room that they had built uh, in their house. And they did that for a number of months, I think for a couple of years. But then eventually somebody betrayed them and the Nazis came and arrested them and shipped them off to various concentration camps. And interestingly, while they ended up going to the concentration camps, 
They didn't find the Jews who were hidden in their house. The Nazis didn't find them. And I think all except for one of the Jews whom they had hidden in their house were protected, were saved, and didn't end up in the concentration camp. So these Christians who loved God and, and, and loved people had hidden the Jews in their home and they were betrayed by a neighbor and uh, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy ended up in the Ravensbrook uh, concentration camp and Betsy died there and it was just so difficult for Corey to watch her sister grow weak and suffer and die. Uh, and Corey, near the end of the war, was eventually released and after the war ended, God moved her to go back to Germany and to share uh, the truth about God's love and his grace and his forgiveness uh, with the German people. And so she would go from church to church and talk about God's love and his grace and his, and his forgiveness. And I want to read an extended story that she wrote about a time when she was speaking at a church in Munich uh, shortly after the war. Corey writes, she says, it was 1947. I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed to hear most in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe it's because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean. They're gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me. They, were, they, they couldn't really dare to believe there were never questions when I gave a talk in Germany in 1947. After the talk, people would just stand up in silence, and in silence they'd collect their coats, and in silence they would file out of the room. And that's when I saw him. One moment I saw the overcoat, the brown hat, and the next I saw a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and its crossbones. And it all came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And then I could see in front of me my sister's, fail my sister's fa frail form, her ribs poking out sharp beneath her parchment skin. And now he's there in front of me. His hand is thrust out and he says, a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I'd like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Would you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. And could this man erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It couldn't have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. And I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And I knew it not just as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Because since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. 
And those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness, they remained invalids. And it was as simple and as horrible as that. And still, still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. I have read that story a couple of dozen times. I've read the story of how she found forgiveness in God. I read the story of her time in her concentration camp. It's called The Hiding Place. Wonderful book if you've never read it. Uh, take time, find it on Amazon, read the book. I've read it a dozen times, but I still can't imagine what it must have been like for her to stand there face to face with a man who was responsible for the death of thousands of people, who in some sense was responsible for the death of her sister, who was responsible for so much suffering and so much pain. And she's standing there and he's saying, will you forgive me? I've been in situations where people have hurt me deeply, but there's never been something like that. How is it that she could find the strength that, to, to forgive him. It's not humanly possible. You know, it's interesting. She mentions that there are two different costs of not forgiving. She says, those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. Those who refused to forgive, who, re, who nursed their bitterness, who ruminated on it, who, who just dwelt on it, remained invalids. Hundreds of years earlier, a man named St. Augustine said this. He said, resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. You know, I may think that by nursing my resentment, by, by holding on to my anger and my bitterness, I'm getting even with the other person. But every time, every time, it doesn't affect them nearly as much as it affects me. And I know that from personal experience. I know that from seeing it in the lives of, of some of my friends. I've known some really godly people who love God, who've had a close relationship with him, and then somebody hurts them in some way. And for whatever reason, they steadfastly refuse to forgive. They say, no, I will not forgive them. I can never, I will never forgive them. And several times I've watched as over a period of days and really weeks and months and years, they just spiral downward into a darkness, into an anger, into a hatred. And not only is their relationship with other people ruined, but you see their relationship with God go from good to mediocre, to bad, to worse, all because they refused to forgive, not because they struggled with it. Corrie ten Boom was struggling with it, but she wasn't refusing. She was having difficulty forgiving, but she didn't absolutely refuse to forgive. When we refuse to forgive, not only does it hurt our relationship with those around us, but as Corrie ten Boom puts it, it hurts our relationship with God. And she alludes, interestingly, 
to verses in Matthew chapter 6 that immediately follow the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. When we refuse to forgive other people, it doesn't just hurt those around us. It doesn't just hurt us, although it does. It also hurts our relationship with God. It creates this barrier, this separation between us and God. Why? God's our heavenly Father. And what we're essentially saying is, I refuse to forgive somebody whom you love. I refuse to forgive another one of the people whom you created, another one of your children, another one of the people for whom you died. Of course that's going to hurt our relationship with God in the same way as in our earthly families. Brother and sister are fighting or arguing. There's a problem between them. It creates an issue between them and their parents as well. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. But we've got to realize that God still loves us, that he's ready and he's eager to forgive us. And the moment we come to him and say, okay, this is wrong. I'm harboring this bitterness. I'm harboring this anger. Would you forgive me and would you help me to do what's impossible and to forgive them? God is ready and willing and eager to do that. But until that time, it's kind of like he puts us in, in a cosmic timeout. He's saying, you know what? If you're going to harbor that bitterness against that person, if you're going to be unwilling to forgive them, then I'm going to put you over here for a time so that you can stop and you can think about it. You say you value your relationship with me. If you do, you should value your relationship with your brothers and sisters, with your fellow human beings, with the people around you. And so I'm going to set you aside for a time, in time out, kind of speaking, so that you can think about, yeah, you know, when you do that to them, it hurts our relationship as well. It's not, his goal is not to punish us. His goal is not to hurt us. His goal is to love us and to show us the need that we have for him and the need that we have for reconciliation with one another. He does that because he loves us and he doesn't want anything to come between us and one another and us and himself. Forgiveness is not always easy. Sometimes it's from a human perspective, it is absolutely impossible. But nothing's impossible with God. God can enable us to do what we would otherwise be unable to do ourselves. Corey Ten Boom continues her story. She says, forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, help me, Lord, I prayed. I can lift my hand. That's all I can do. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You've got to supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm. It sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. That's a miracle. There is no way 
from a human perspective that she was able to forgive him. There have been times in my life, not even that difficult, but from a human perspective, no way that I could forgive what was done to me. And yet, nothing's impossible with God. Crying out to him and saying, Lord, it hurts. Help me to forgive, even though, emotionally speaking, I don't really want to. But I know that you know it's what's best for me. So help me, strengthen me, and enable me to do what's otherwise impossible. As Corey says, forgiveness is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. We're going to struggle to forgive. But when we do, we can cry out to God and ask him to enable us to do what we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. It is not saying it's no big deal. It was a huge deal what that man did to her and so many others. She didn't minimize the offense. She felt the full effects of that. God doesn't do that with us either. He doesn't minimize our offense. He doesn't say, your sin's no big deal. Let's just forget about it. He died for it. It's a big deal, but his love is greater than our sin. His love is greater than our guilt. And that's the blessing of that first half of the verse. And forgiveness is also not forgetting. There is no way. Corey Ten Boom did not forget for the rest of her life what had been done to her. She did not, she could not forget what had been done to her. In fact, a lot of people think that the Bible says that God forgives and he forgets. In fact, he never forgets. God doesn't erase our sin from his memory. The Bible never says that God forgets. It words it just slightly differently, but that slight difference in wording makes all the difference. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. He doesn't erase our sins from his memory. He chooses not to bring them up again. He chooses not to remember them. Yes, he hasn't forgotten them, but yes, also, he does not allow them to come up again in the context of our relationship with him. He doesn't dwell on them. He doesn't ruminate on them. He doesn't harbor them. He doesn't hold them against us. And that's the same thing he calls us to do in our relationships with other people. And it's the same thing that he can enable us to do even when we've been hurt as deeply as Corey Ten Boom has been hurt. And sometimes, sometimes, and again, I know it from my own life, I need to ask him again and again and again to enable me to forgive somebody, not because I intentionally bring up the hurt and the pain again, but because I'm human and the hurt and the pain comes up again. Something will happen and I'm reminded of it and I need to say, Lord, I'm still hurting. I'm hurting again. Would you comfort me? Would you give me peace in this situation? And would you help me to forgive yet again? Because I know that otherwise I'm going to be destroyed from the inside out. My relationship with that person is going to continue to have this incredible barrier there. And there's going to be this barrier between me and you. And so please, and I cry out to God and just say, Lord, help me again and again and again to forgive and to seek comfort and hope and peace ultimately in you 
because you're my loving and my gracious and my compassionate heavenly Father. Give me the grace to go on with my life and help me not to carry that resentment and that bitterness that I know would otherwise destroy me and destroy my relationship with you. Forgiveness can be hard. It can be impossible. And I need to look to Jesus to enable me to do what I would otherwise be unable to do on my own. Corey Ten Boom was not able to forgive, but she was able to look to God and to ask him for a miracle and then to obey him and stick out her hand and trust that he would enable her to do what she was unable to do. And God answered that prayer. And we need to ask God to give us the grace to forgive other people. And our ability to forgive others is directly related to our appreciation of how much God has forgiven us. The Apostle Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, understood how much God had forgiven him. And he wrote uh, to Christians in the, in the ancient city of Ephesus, and he said, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Jesus bore the cost for our sins. He bore the cost for the sins of others. And because he bore that cost, we can release others from the debt, from the very real debt that they have against us. We can release them from that debt because God is willing as well to release them from that debt because of what Christ has done. And so by his grace, if we look to him, we can do the impossible because God can do the impossible as he works in our hearts. And it's my hope, it's my prayer. And I know that so many of us have deep hurts, deep hurts. My hope and my prayer is that as we more and more appreciate and understand the incredible love and grace and forgiveness that God has for us, that we'll turn to him and say, okay, Lord, okay, I don't, some sense I don't want to do it. I definitely don't feel like forgiving, but I know it's what you want. And so I ask you, help me to forgive others in the same way that you've forgiven me. As Beth mentioned, when you came in, uh, you received a card with Matthew 6, 12 on one side. On the other side, there's a sentence uh, that, uh, just take a look at it if you're holding the card. It says, confess quickly and frequently. Confess quickly and frequently. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate for a second when you sin because God will forgive you. But also ask God to give you the grace to forgive others. So as you're going throughout your week, whether it's on the dashboard of your car, on the mirror in your bathroom, on your desk at work, wherever it is, when you see that card, use it as a reminder to confess quickly and frequently. Use it as a reminder to say, Lord, I can't in and of myself forgive this person, but you can and you have. And I ask you to give me the strength, give me the grace, give me the love to do what I otherwise am not able to do. The band is going to come back up and uh, we're going to sing just a really beautiful song uh, in just a couple of minutes. But as they're coming up and as they're playing uh, the opening bars of the song, let me encourage you, just take, take a minute or two. Focus and pray. There's something that you know you need to confess. Confess it. Lord, I was wrong. It's a sin. 
would you forgive me? Don't hesitate for a second, even if it is the 1,000th time that you've committed that sin. Ask him because he's ready, he's eager to forgive you. But also, if there's something between you and somebody else, Lord, I need your help. I need your grace. I need you to enable me to do what I was otherwise unable to do on my own. Help me to forgive, not because they deserve it, but ultimately because I'm your child and I want to be like you. I want to live like you and I want to show your love to those around me. So let's take a minute or two now and pray.